Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs, a unique vinyl and embroidery shop bringing you unique designs, holiday favorites, and most importantly, the world-famous dick mark. These things are flying off the shelves right now for some reason. Uh, the reason is they're awesome and ridiculous and hilarious. Be the shining bell of the ball at your next book club meeting <laughs> or just, you know, have a ridiculous bookmark that's shaped like a penis. That's their specialty, folks. 13 Star Designs. That's 13 Star Designs. Uh, Facebook.com slash 13 spelled out. 13 Star Designs. And while you're in the neighborhood, you may as well grab a an official, the podcast is on fire, branded mark of your choosing, book or dick. Check him out. Facebook.com slash 13 Star Designs today. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old Dresden vet. This is my first time through. And we plod on through and try to dig into the good stuff. Heck yeah. Today, we're breaking down the first six chapters, the first chunk, as they say in the podcasting business, (laughs) of Blood Rights. Blood Rights came out in 2004, August of 2004. And yeah, short of that, my voice is completely shot from the weekend. I sound better than I did a day ago. Hey, that's good. <laughs> How are you doing today, Ice? My allergies are kicking my, my butt, but hey, it's all good. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, flora up there. There really is. Quite a bit. Me, I complimented Northern California. You're welcome. Ooh-wee. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I am just recovering physically, mentally, emotionally, <laughs> ecumenically from a uh, from my national championship tournament with the, the boys. Woohoo! Had a uh, great, great little run. Yeah? Got pretty deep. Had a couple really close, really big games to send us into the rarefied air, and we couldn't finish either one of them off. Oh, bummer. Very disappointed. We were, our top, there's a couple... It's a double elimination, basically. So you had a couple cracks at top 12. And mm-hmm. we were there, we were banging, and uh, yeah. That's awesome. It hurt a lot. And then we finished out in 18th place in the country, which is just solid. Not I, not where I wanted to finish, but certainly higher than I had us ranked. And hey, that's a lot fantastic. Of hugs and tears on Sunday and some great young men moving on. So mm-hmm. all good things. That's awesome. That's really cool. But boy, if I don't want a couple of those moments back from the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Very good stuff. A lot of fun. And uh, so my voice sounds like my voice sounds. It'll be back to normal sometime next week-ish. But uh, appreciate you guys bearing with us for a special half-voiced version of pod. We're in blood rights. And you want to catch us up? I know it's early in the novel, but kind of set the scene of where we're at and I um, just kicked off. Well, it's been a while since uh, the last adventures with the fallen has occurred. Uh, Cause from what I understand, it's been a few months since they had their run in with Nicodemus. 
and uh, Harry's back on his game. Absolutely. We, we catch up to him mid-case. Caper. <laughs> mid-caper. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun to just kind of start with the ending of a, of a uh, case. We mm-hmm. know Harry's good at stuff. We know he has to have other cases than the ones that we see because mm-hmm. he's got to pay his rent, even though it's ridiculously low. Um, <laughs> obviously, the real highlight here is the opening line of the novel, which we touched on last week. Yes, it I love it. Such a great start to any novel, but a Dresden novel in particular. The building was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. (laughs) Which, for those of you that are reading along for the first time, you also finally learned (laughs) why our podcast is named what it is. A little esoteric, maybe, but such a good line. I wanted to reference it. I love it. it. And when you run your own podcast, you can pick your own title, (laughs) ma'am. So he's in the middle of, like I said, middle of a case. It's to retrieve some temple dogs. And he has to battle some monkey demons that are throwing flaming. Flying purple monkey demons. That's just, you know, a very specific. Like you do. <laughs> For you, it was they, the monkeys were around. For me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> Harry just grinding through, to, you know, does some cool athletic stuff. He uh, realizes that the weaponry that they're using is flaming poop, which is just all sorts of gross <laughs> and awful. Um, but uh, he dashes out again. We get to, right to the middle of the action sequence, which is kind of cool. It's a cool sliding kick mm-hmm. that I really like because <laughs> there's one annoying puppy with a notch ear that fell oh out of the, the box and was barking on his own. I love that puppy. He's all right. He's not too shabby. He is. He was trying to fight the bad guys boy. on his own. Of course, because it's a, somebody's got to fight the bad guy. I loved it. May as well be I me. I loved it. Um, had a pup. He hustles out. And the monkeys are chasing him, throwing poop. <laughs> and uh, this is ridiculous. He's screaming to Thomas to start the car. And so Thomas dives into the beetle and gets it going. They hop in and race out of there as much as you can race in an old Volkswagen beetle. True. The three demons that he was fighting, we learned that he did a binding spell that caught most of them. Couldn't quite get all of them caught up in it. And so these ones escaped. And then... They do a Voltron situation where they combine <laughs> powers and he, he calls them a Kong size. Kongtron. Great description. Yeah. Which is a great description. It truly is. Monkey. He makes a reference that I've referenced every time something happens and I say, he retreats. I always say, run away. Yes. Oh, so it's good to see. But you're catching up at the same, you know, making the same one because me and Harry are extremely dissimilar. <laughs> There's a, there's a cool chase. The monkey's getting after him and he uh, almost falls out of the car. I love that Thomas just nonchalantly. Right. Spectacular. Him throws him back into the car, <laughs> which is great because we've never seen, I mean, we've seen him in, in that fight one or, one or two times. We've never seen him really use his superpowers yeah. beyond being quick, you know? So seeing him just casually grab his foot and uh, throw him back in. I also in. love the juxtaposition though of uh, Thomas who he describes as better looking than any man should be and him driving the beetle, which has no interior because the mold demon, the mold demons. Yeah, no, consumed sure. everything. I just thought that was spectacular. <laughs> it's just such a, an entertaining like visual. Yeah. And he mentions that later. Basically, this is not a spot where Thomas would make sense. And so that's how Harry knows something's yeah. up basically. 
again, we see the, the hero come out where they, they lame him with a blast and Thomas wants to get out of there. Yeah. Let's go. But Harry has to go back. Someone has to fight just like the notch-eared puppy mm-hmm. you know, standing against something he has no hope of necessarily beating in a straight up fight. Harry turns around and faces this giant Kong demon. But it's a very hairy sort of situation. Oh, yeah. Especially with the grossness, the weirdness of it, the specificity of like having a box of dogs just because yeah. just, it is very much a hairy type situation, which I love. And we actually see the power that Harry is starting to collect. Yeah. It sounds like it's this giant demon chasing down. He, he's going to struggle, but he just turns around and kind of like uh, in Raiders, Indy shooting the guy with the yeah. big sword, you know, just casually Fuego's his face off. <laughs> Fuego's his face um, off. I love that. And we see them, that his Larry, we see Larry, we see Harry growing in strength. Yeah. In a nonchalant, he doesn't mention it. He doesn't, you know what I mean? He doesn't talk to us about it. He doesn't think about it. So again, he doesn't realize his power. Mm-hmm. He continues on with his errand. He's a, yes. And we learn a little bit about why Thomas is there. So he went to Max to hang out and asked for a ride home. Is how he, you know, and Harry obviously obliged him and said, Hey, we're going to run a quick errand. And that was <laughs> go to the demons and the dogs and then go to the airport to drop off the dogs. And his reasoning there is Thomas is hiding something from me. Mm-hmm. So he wants to make Thomas feel the same way, which I thought was an interesting and clever yes. way for Harry to break that down and show that we get the scene that you get at the beginning of every sequel where they exposition dump where we're at in universe, mm-hmm. right? He talks about the last couple of novels and who he is and what he does, which just, again, it was one of those things that's useful in a novel series. Mm-hmm. So if someone Quite. randomly picks it up, they're not completely lost. So I, does it, would it make sense in a journal entry or whatever like this, or you know, him telling the story to someone? Probably not, but also I don't care. Yeah. It's the, uh, we had a great, about the Doylest reasons versus yes. uh, uh, Watsonian. Yes. Right, and this is kind of one of those where there's not a good in-universe reason for him to explain this again, but it makes sense in the mm-hmm. real world and we can ignore it because it helps make more people want to read the series and helps it grow. So I'm hopeful <laughs> with that. And we learn about what Thomas is doing He's trying to hire him for a friend, uh, for a case. Buddy of his thinks there's an entropy curse, which we saw a mention of last novel when Harry and Susan were running away from Harry's captivity and they ran into the house. There was an entropy curse at them at the time. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, because he talks about how messy this entropy curse is, as opposed to the other one, which seemed more focused. At least that was what the unwritten words were in my head. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting how it has manifested mm-hmm. it, right? The cra- There's a crazy random bee swarm. And then I like that she was hit by a car, a runaway car and killed instantly. Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. She was water skiing. Yes. I love that. <laughs> but it's, it Which works a, so well. Oh, 100%. I love it. It's a great way to turn mundane things mm-hmm. on their head. Again, something that this series does really yes. well and is a big part of low fantasy. Very true. We see this almost every novel, but we see how important his car mm-hmm. is. He, he big ups his car. It's his loyal yeah. steed. I was thinking about this. How a knight had a loyal would have a loyal steed. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit Don Quixote because he's this hapless hero. Uh, but I was thinking that the Blue Beetle is his loyal steed. Yeah, no, 100%. And I like the uh, Millennium Falcon. She may not look like much, but she got where it counts. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's also a testament to his, where he likes things to be the same. Consistency. Yeah, consistency. That's a good word for it. Yeah, he wants, does this, eats the same kind mm-hmm. of things. He has, has the Coke, the same beer at Max, yep. the same sandwich at Max, right? The same car. He's, He's a creature of habit. He is. But I also wonder if that has something to do. Again, this is probably more psychoanalysis than is necessary. But I feel like it maybe it's something to do with the all the upheaval in his childhood. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. 100%. It's definitely connected. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's he had he always had such discord. And so much of his adult life has discord. Uh, and this is kind of his, all of the things he does the same, or sort of that uh, safe space. Yeah, and it's interesting that we see as much as he, whenever he tries to like push back against his childhood, you know, when he when he does open up to people, uh huh, when he it brings in new new people into his mm-hmm. circle, or he adds trust to people he has, he seems to level up and get more power, and it's a really that's an interesting perspective. I like that. And I don't know, it wouldn't make sense for someone who's training him to be a you know, a bad guy to break him down so you don't gain power that way. So I'm not really sure how it fits into the overall mm-hmm. narrative. But it seems like every time he expands, he lets someone in, he gets more powerful. Every time he finds something new, he's more powerful. But he's because of his upbringing, he doesn't want to do those things. Mm. So I don't know how to make that ma- matter or mean anything. I That's just, interesting, though. I, some like light notes that I had that I, I couldn't do anything with, but I wanted to put that out there and see what your thought. Maybe you can make my brain work. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it also could be at the heart of him. Because Harry has a big um, do-gooder. Not necessarily complex, but kind of mindset, I think is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of his purpose. Where he has that purpose to save the world, basically. And because I, Nicodemus, I think it was, who in the last novel asked him why he does it. And he talked about because he had to. And mm-hmm. that's that would make sense with a lot of this, where why he becomes more powerful the more he helps people almost you know he brings them into he brings them under his wing there that his you know his scooby gang his the people he protects they help him yes but he also protects them yeah no for sure just spitballing well no you talk you mentioned nicodemus and nicodemus we learned gets more powerful by hurting people yeah. And Harry's gotten more powerful by helping. And I love that. Like, what a great character development. Absolutely. All right. I knew your brain would help. <laughs> it usually I does. Try. Either way, we catch up on Susan and Justine. Mm-hmm. And there's some kind of similarity in that both of them are with someone that got hurt or has to get hurt in Justine's case. You know, there is some therapeutic 
uniqueness to what Thomas brings as well, but he's devouring part of her soul, mm-hmm. part of you know her essence, her life essence, essence, yeah, regularly. But we learn about who she is to him, and he tries. He's struggling with. She's my lover. She's my girlfriend. She's food. Yeah, and yeah, I mean it's the monster with the heart of gold kind of thing. I mean, he is doing this. He's feeding yeah. on her. Right? He's out eating, of necessity, but he still cares for her. It's this <clears throat> drink. It's a Spike and Drusilla thing where she is destroyed and he kind of, or the Spike and Buffy thing, you know? Angel Buffy. I'm naming all the stars. I mean, shit. But I've named them the same thing. It's a terrible confusion. <laughs> just, I love Drusilla. I just, it's such a great trippy oh, character. God. But yes, so, but that was the sort of thing where it's the anti-hero. Where he's a demon, he—I mean, he's—he is a vampire, but he also has heart, absolutely, and not just his, a literal one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, his hunger, his demon, is certainly bad mm-hmm. and problematic, and I—I I think he's trying to do the best he can. Yep, I do believe that. Obviously, he's—he's he's looking out for number one. We've seen that. Yeah, but. Especially with Justine, I think there's something real there. Definitely. Um, and you see Justine reciprocate it by threatening Harry, right? Mm-hmm. Back when. So so he tells me he'll take he'll take the case, but he also needs Thomas to tell him why he's helping, why he's been around, which we touched on last week. Mm-hmm. And uh Thomas I like says, how that was worded though. That was one of my favorite parts about this chapter, where he said, So you're gonna get paid twice? Mm-hmm. And You'll get double. And what he says, no, not money. I want to know why. And that's the payment. I, I just think that's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Again, using his brain. Yeah. It's a very clever move, this whole thing, to put Thomas in an uncomfortable spot with all this. Mm-hmm. So he's off his game. You know, tell him that you know there's something up and then throw this on him. is just almost more manipulative than we see Harry be most of the time. And I don't, but I think this is the only way he would be able to get Thomas to tell him. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that's in a bad way. Again, yeah, demon, vampire, bad guy, technically at war. I don't think he's super worried about hurting his feelers, but he also isn't doing it just to be a dick. Yeah, he's just showing him what he's what Harry's been experiencing for some time. Yeah, I like it though. They shook to make the deal, and he said. His fingers felt very cold. And then they go. Which is, I think, just a reminder. Sorry. Like, he's not a man. Yeah. He is. This is the proverbial deal with the devil here. Like, we've seen him do some gray stuff here. but He's still not. This isn't a human being he's dealing with. So. Yeah. That little reminder there. That's very true. So they go to a hair and meet Brother Wang who is basically, it sounds like he's a Tibetan monk or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I also love Brother Wang's English was worse than my Latin. <laughs> and I love how he said, our little one dogs you have given to us. Because little ones, you know, and the little dogs, but little one dogs. I just, I just, there was something just so sweet about that. And they are in the same little chapel room. That Shiro met his fate. And it's sort of, obviously, it's a very intentional story moment. 
it's almost like a bittersweet thing for Harry to be there while he's, you know, giving these dogs back to Wang. And these dogs are just these sweet little puppies. And then he's in this horrible place. And one of the things he says, that uh, plane leaving for home now, Wang reached into his robe and pulled out an envelope. I counted the priest's money, which probably says something about my level of cynicism. <coughs> I really liked that. And uh, they go back to the car and Thomas is flirting with a patrol cop, probably glamoring her a little bit. But she says, aren't you Harry Dresden? He says, yeah, I thought I recognized you. Lieutenant Murphy says you're good people. Thanks. That wasn't a compliment. A lot of people don't like Murphy. Aw, shucks. I blush when I feel all flattered like that. And the cop wrinkled her nose. What's that smell? I kept a straight face. Burned monkey poo. <laughs> but that's an interesting back and forth where, I mean, not a lot of people like Murphy, but Murphy thinks he's good people. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, it was. That's a weird, especially cops. Mm-hmm. Are, no random cop is going to say that to someone that like, hey, Murphy thinks you're good people, which is actually a negative because she sucks. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, it could also be she's still partially under Thomas's glamour. So there's that too. So she's just talking, just saying random stuff. Not saying random what stuff, but just kind of like. Her filter's down. A her filter's down. Okay. No, I like that. That's great, actually. That's a good explanation. You know, where it's that, um, I can't think of a proper word. But yeah, no, whatever. I'm, scr- I'm scratching out my uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> even thought there. I, no, I like that a lot. Like, she's a little woozy. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, but, well, it, her, Murphy says this. It's uh, that uh, brain to mouth with no filter. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's easily influenced, easily telling the truth kind of thing. Okay. So they pull away from the curb. And we learn that there is a growl coming from under the seat. <laughs> a squeaky, bubbling growl, which I love. And Harry reaches down to see what it is as he's pulling up to the guard kiosk. And holy crap. It's a fucking vampire. Black court douchebag. Smelly, gross, and dead. And he attacks. It jumped through the window. The vampire rushed me, slithering out through the guardhouse window like a freeze-dried snake. I had a panicked instant to realize that if the vampire closed to wrestling range with me inside the car, they'd be harvesting my organs out of the mound of scrap metal and spare parts. And I wasn't strong enough to stop it from happening. That's no good. That's no good at all. Rut row. Row. So we saw Thomas has supernatural strength. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he focuses, he's got other senses or things that are pretty strong, but he wasn't paying attention here. <laughs> so yeah, Thomas's senses evidently couldn't compete with mine because the Black Court vampire was up to its shoulders in the beetle before he choked out a startled, holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. I Thomas. just love that. Holy crap! <laughs> we we learned a little bit more about Black Court vampires here. We know that they're the Bram Stoker type, mm-hmm. but they aren't the sexy vampires we've seen in other media. Mm-hmm. They are rotting corpses. So their corpses still grossifying, and obviously at a different 
decomposing. Meta- I had, that's what I said. Grossifying. They're synonyms. <laughs> They're synonyms. Look it up. They truly are. Um, no, I, I know from personal experience that they are. Yeah, absolutely awful. Gross. But um, it's kind of cool, right? The They have this supernatural strength. They're, they're immortal. They're a lot like, I mean, they are definitionally in universe. They're the vampires that Stoker was writing, uh-huh. about, right? And most of our vampire lore fits with. But that small little twist in a novel where everything is sexy, everything is mm-hmm. gross, everything is perfect and enticing. We have these creatures that are in every other, almost exclusively sh- described and shown in media as gorgeous sexy um, enthralling enthralling yeah it's just kind of a, a funny juxtaposition well i also kind of love how because when we met bianca she had the skin suit i like that that the skin suit makes them pretty well those, yeah those are the red cord. oh sorry the black cord are just the gross icky ones yeah that was mavra sorry. who her voice was That's scratchy because right. her, sorry their vocal cords are all gross right like he's digging with his nails um had that mixed up yeah but it's it's just there are that we do have the pretty gorgeous vampires Mm -hmm. times two and then we have the black court which are just hideous and gross which i love um he grabbed a water balloon filled with (laughs) holy water which is a great weapon to have against vampires so spectacular so he blasts him uh burns right through his ear which is gross Yes. And he runs away. And in an interesting turnabout from Kongtron, mm-hmm. Thomas says he's getting away. He wants to go track him down. I Almost really, like he- that is really interesting because I think maybe it's the known for Thomas. Because he knows, he knows the vampires. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know Kongtron. Absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking maybe similar, similarly that he may hate, he's had bad experiences with Black Court before, like mm-hmm. fuck the Black Court in particular, which is similar but different to what you said, but yeah. we're in the same ballpark for sure. Yeah, definitely. But it's definitely notable. Yeah. Harry says, no, it's a trap. And even better, we've seen this before, but while he's mid-fight wrestling, he went from, he couldn't tell if the vampire was old or young. To he recognized the actual person that they used to be at Bianca's masquerade. Mm-hmm. But in, in your chapter, right, or right when he saw him, he said he wasn't sure how if he was old or young. Like he didn't recognize anything. And so during this exchange, again, he's so perceptive, which we like to see how consistent that is. Yeah. So we learned that it was one of Mavra's. Mavra was the Black Court vampire we met at Bianca's party. Mm-hmm. We talked about. Of course, sure, she's in town because one problem at a time isn't enough. So now we have black court vampires to deal with as well as you know. the case for Thomas. <laughs> we see the brave little puppy chewing on the vamp's ear, which is gross. Absolutely vile. Also but just, somehow very cute. I was just going to say that, but also really cute. The good exchange. The other thing that I really, um, this is kind of going back a little bit, is his spell reinforced leather of his duster. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about the duster. Is this the first time he's mentioned the spell reinforcement? I believe so. Okay. Oh, no. He, he may have mentioned it in the school. Oh, yeah. 
Um, I was wondering if he, is he not in previous novels? Interesting. Um, I, I wasn't sure yeah, this... on some of those, some one of those things where I wasn't sure when it, when it comes up or not. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't want to put too much, but yeah, no. So that's kind of cool. And again, slowly, but surely leveling up mm-hmm. in power. It's definitely a, a useful thing to have. Oh yeah. And they're just sitting there like in the dark talking about how someone's setting a trap for us. And there's probably a bunch of vampires over there and that's probably not great. Thomas is like, Hey Harry, you know what? You know what? I'm thinking we should get indoors. Yes. <laughs> so you know what? Maybe we shouldn't just be standing outside. Oh, he grabs the puppy. <laughs> they say, let's go. I love it. Chapter four. These are short chapters. They really are. Uh, so they go into this fancy, fancy schmancy uh, apartment building. And we meet Madge. Madge Shelley. And uh, she knows Thomas well. And she asks if he talked Thomas into acting yet. Then she asks Harry if he's an actor. So it's, this is very makes sense with the world in which, you know, producers. Are you an actor? Good looking boy. You're an actor? Type of stuff. And so they head in and Thomas asks if Justine is there. And she says, somewhere. I'll tell her you arrived. So Madge sends him to the study to wait for the big man, uh, the client. And we learn Madge is Arturo's first ex-wife, but she's hosting the party, which is odd, but rich people. <laughs> um, and this is another interesting aspect because Harry mentions a couple times about Thomas not really understanding, like, it's like, hey, rich kid, what kind of money are we talking about? Because she invested in Arturo's new company. Uh, not sure, Thomas said. Seven figures, maybe more. I have to get someone to look. Lots of money. I guess, Thomas said. Thomas was rich enough that he probably didn't have much perspective on the value of a buck. You know, and we learn constantly about Harry. Harry is penny-pinching left and right, trying to, you know, keep his head above water. And then our big Greek Arturo comes in, and he also says to Tommy, you should come work with me. I don't look good on camera, Thomas said. And Arturo Genosa is introduced to Harry Dresden. And he says, tall son of a bitch, huh? And Harry has the dog with him, of course, because why not? Uh, And then he starts talking about Italian folk magic. Um, And Harry asks, or sorry, he asks Harry if he knows what Strega is. And that's, you know, Harry knows a lot. And he mentions Melosio which is the evil eye. And he, Arturo asks Harry, but do you believe in it? In the evil eye? Yes. I've seen stranger things. And so two women, good souls, both died. And Harry says, you know, assuming there is a curse involved, what makes you think it's meant for you? They had no other contact with each other. Far as I know, I was the only thing they had in common. And all he wants is protection. He wants, all he wants, he wants protection. He wants Harry to protect the people on his crew during the shoot. And he wants Harry to be there, to pose as a member of the production team. Initially, they discuss him being a boom operator, which is funny because of, well, Harry's magic with 
electricity is bad. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things Harry mentions is that, you know, the only thing he can do is he can look into it, but unless who is bringing this curse onto you does something right in front of me, there's not a lot I can do. We'll call a spell, we call a spell like the evil eye an entropy curse, and it's damn near impossible to trace any other way. My people must be protected from the Malocchio. Can you do that? If I'm there when it goes down. And that's a big, you know, again, Harry is underestimating his skill, but it also could be that he's just being realistic. And then Justine comes in and Thomas does this little mindfuck thing with Justine and it bothers Harry. Harry tells him to stop. Thomas says, this doesn't concern you. Harry says, like, hell it doesn't. Back off the mind mojo right now, or you and I are going to have words. Thomas's gaze moved to me. Something vicious in his eyes flashed with a cold fury, and one of his hands closed into a fist. Then he shook his head and closed his eyes for a moment. He spoke before they opened. The less she knows about the details, the safer she's going to be. So this is Thomas once again reiterating his desire to protect Justine. And Thomas says he needs to take Justine home. He needs to get her out of there. He provides Harry with a ridiculous amount of money, $1,000 cash, just pulling it out of his wallet. And Arturo says, I do not know if I believe in your sincerity, Mr. Dresden. As long as you're paying, I don't really need you to believe in me. See you in the morning, Mr. Genosa. So it's Harry putting, you know, it's a job. It's not nothing personal. It's a job. One thing that we've saw, he mentioned it how, uh, twice, I mean, back to back, but he mentioned that he's got to go to bed or it's past his bedtime or something. And we know during cases, Harry like never sleeps. That we've seen that every, uh-huh. every novel. And so he just finished a week plus long case that he was grinded on. So even though we didn't see most of it till you know at the very end, till the building was on fire and it wasn't his fault, <laughs> he he's presumably already, you know, on the towards the tail end of his rope at least. It wasn't a light, a world threatening event, but um, I don't know. you don't really see him often talk about going to bed and then go to bed right. Yeah, now. Uh, he must be gassed, <laughs> but uh, he sh- shambled back to his place around late o'clock. Which is great. Mm-hmm. We get Mr. Which is wonderful. We always love Mr. Mr. Friend of the program. Mr. I love shows Mr. his imperial displeasure at having a new creature to look after. And uh, Harry assures him that it's temporary. Uh, Mr. came over and swiped at the puppy anyway mm-hmm. because it's Mr.'s fucking house. Of course. We should have at least talked about this. <laughs> He describes his home as a lair, which is fun. We get the, his home is decorated in textures more than styles, mm-hmm. which is just an interesting thing that I love. He, of course, mentions the bedroom in what he claims is a studio. So mm-hmm. Harry mm-hmm. never learned what a studio apartment was. Uh-huh. Agreed. I don't think he calls it that in this chapter. No, he doesn't. But in the past, he <laughs> we has. We finally broke it in list. I think we may have. 
<laughs> he heads down to talk to Bob in the lab. He mentions there's a, in one corner of the lab, there's a patch of new concrete with a silver circle that is kept mm-hmm. clean because that is where he dug a hole and put a coin with Lashiel, Fallen Angel's sigil on it, and presumably Lashiel, the Fallen Angel, inside of the coin. Good luck. So, definitely a seemingly game-changing item yeah. that is hanging, hanging out in his corner here. So, probably never see it again. Bob comes through, and he mentions again how he got Bob. He stole it from Justin Demore, yes. his abusive stepfather. Which, I don't know, is interesting. We don't ever get a whole lot of background on Bob, so it's always nice when we talk about him. Mm-hmm. He's not, not really a skull. He lives in a skull. He's a spirit of air, mm-hmm. intellect. And they uh, he gives Bob shit for his... Uh, Spell not working to collect the yes the monkey the monkeys. I love that. Bob says, "Holy cats, Harry! You stole one of the temple dogs." <laughs> Which his first thought is that Harry stole it because obviously he doesn't understand morality or anything like that. So not how did you get that dog? But oh, you stole a dog. Which I just think is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, then but, he instantly jumps to that. Oh, 100 percent. Oh yeah. The Bob's mentioned it before, the right and wrong, human morality, nonsense. He just knows what happens and what doesn't. So he gives Bob a task to send him out in Mister, out on the town, to go try to track down where Mavra's scourge is. A scourge is what you call a gaggle of vampires. I do love that. It's a, a group of black vampires? A gaggle? A castle? <laughs> <laughs> What's a passel group of? A passel? I mean, it's some sort of group. Google it. No, I know. Obviously. Let's see. A large group of people or things of indeterminate number. A pack. A passel of journalists is a sample. Fair enough. Could also mean a heap. Again, one of the things I really like about magic in this universe, I say it all the time ad nauseum, I'm sure. But the caps on the power, like nothing is all powerful Mm -hmm. so far. And we're reminded that last time Bob went out, he ran into some wards that Marcone and guard had set up. So he's, he, he also needs to be wary, which is again, just cool. I I like that everything has their limits. So nothing is just an auto win, but um, there's a great delivery, especially on the audio book, but it's, it's a good line where Bob says, it might be more than you can. It might be more than you can handle alone. That's why I'm going Justice League on him. Uh, but he's doing a yawn while saying it. Yeah, and just again credit to James Marsters. It's, so it's really well done. Little, the little things are big things. He leaves Bob in charge of the puppy, which can only be a bad yeah. thing. A hundred percent. Just somehow corrupting this cute little uh-huh. puppy. I'm sure, but. uh he heads up. Um, he's about to go to sleep before he mentions his new case to Bob. And Bob, of course, realizes 
that Arturo Genosa is not just a movie producer. Yeah. Bob knows him well. He produces critically acclaimed erotic features. <laughs> so funny. Uh, there are erotic film critics. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> four stars, four boners. What's the difference? Oh, my goodness. So spectacular. We get a little bit of lore about the white court. But you, get, you, you mentioned a line last week that I'm hmm. going to touch on later, but about how their power level is different and their evilness level seems different. Uh-huh. They just are on a different path so far from what we've seen than the Reds and the Blacks. Mm-hmm. But really, we've only interacted with Thomas. That's true. That's very true. But he also talks about how they are not necessarily like the friendly vampires, but they're less vicious because they're less strong and because the manner in which they feed. Yeah, I mean, just think of it from a evolutionary standpoint. Yeah. Demon demolutionary standpoint. I love that. Like they feed through sex or whatever, emotion hanging out. So like it doesn't make sense to kill them. Right. Mm-hmm. So they would be less likely to kill their prey. Kind of like what uh Ortega said last week about uh Casa Verde. Yeah. That's true. It's a But the thing is about all the vampires that we've met so far is they all kill. Yeah. Make no mistake. These are. These are predators of humans. Yeah, for sure. And and Bob explains it's it's spiritual damage. Their pieces of their life is is taken from them and and being fed upon by the hunger inside. Um, But it. Unlike the Red Court, it wasn't a choice for Thomas. Mm-hmm. Thomas was born this way. So there's, there are layers to it, and let you touched on it last week, I think, where it's a conversation we're going to continue to come back to mm-hmm. as we go through this, obviously, because it seems like Thomas is involved predominantly, and it's porno set. <laughs> we might see some White Court. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we saw... It definitely took Justine out of the moment there and she kind of dazed out there. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly not good. We got to keep an eye on how that will affect their relationship moving forward because Harry doesn't do bullies. And you yeah. saw he got pissed at him in that moment, but also he needs to eat and Justine seems relatively willing. Definitely a conversation to have as we move through this ethics of white court vampirism Mm -hmm. vampirism (laughs) bob is so jealous that he gets to go hang out with all the porn stars it's harry 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 what i wouldn't give to be in your shoes this week (laughs) which in retrospect just goes to show that a pretty face can inspire even a bodiless spirit of intellect to dizzying heights of idiocy (laughs) I do love that. It's very good. Uh, So Harry goes to bed. And he says that his cat walked on his face just after dawn. We learn that Bob had taken temporary possession of Mr. Mr. Body. Actually, I suspected that Mr. Tolerated Bob's control only because he got to go see new things when I sent Bob out on a mission. Which makes sense, obviously. 
The spirit needed some form of protection during full daylight, and Mr. was it. I had my usual flash of concern and mumbled, be careful with my cat. And Mr. Then Mr. hurled himself against my legs in a gesture that had nothing to do with Bob before bounding up the steps and out of sight. So I feel like they're like mutually using the space and Bob isn't completely taking over. And I kind of love that because we all know how much I love Mr. Yeah. Mr. has the power to like, we're doing, we're doing a leg rub on our way here. Yeah. Brother. Uh, and then he, the little puppy is trying to get up from the basement. And he go grabs him. I went down and scooped him up and put him on the love seat and sat down with him to eat breakfast. I shared and made sure he got a bit of water to drink. Just because I wasn't keeping him didn't excuse me from showing a guest some measure of hospitality, even if the guest was fuzzy. He makes plans for the day and... I, I do mm-hmm. like the puppy's dogged tenacity. Mm-hmm. They're just like fighting and clawing to oh, get yeah. up the steps, falling, hopping back up, back up the steps, just like we've seen him do twice before mm-hmm. in the face of evil. He's a little tough guy. Good little pup. Yeah. And I love it. Very, very sweet and cute and wonderful and adorable. And we all know we're suckers for critters on this podcast. We are. <laughs> we truly, truly are. Harry says that there is at least a chance that he would come face to face with a killer at work today because he surmised that the killer is probably a crew member, which makes sense. He says he was better than most at maintaining a high alert, but even so he couldn't be sharp on his, his guard forever. I feel like that's really a very important kind of moment for him because it's, it's, realistic he's realistic about his abilities even though we know he's kind of a bit more powerful than he lets on i suppose you could say but it is very much he couldn't be a sharp on his guard forever and then he heads out to a gym he walks in he describes the area and there are several people in judo pajamas already working through various grappling techniques he recognizes most of them as some of Chicago's finest, and one of them is Lieutenant Karen Murphy. She's standing there with, I guess, sparring, I guess is the right word, with a brawny rookie. And she mm-hmm. mats him. And she says, hey, Stallings, loud enough to be heard by everybody. What just happened here? O'Toole just got beat up by a girl, Lieutenant. There's a general round of applause and good-natured jeers from the other cops in the gym, including several calls of, Pay up. Told you so. But then she does coach him on it, which I think is really, which is a a very, a very Murphy thing to do. And I really liked that moment. Yeah. It's showing leadership. He says, this is a really spectacular little interaction that I just, I love the two of them interacting like this. Hey, Murphy, when are you going to stop picking on little kids and fight someone your own size? Come say that to my face, Dresden. Give me a minute to amputate my legs and I will. (laughs) I just think it's that their verbal sparring is fantastic. Uh, And then we see them begin to. He uses his staff and she gets out a stick and they do. uh, They spar with that. And while they're sparring, they talk. He says he needs a thug. She says, you need manpower? Thug power. 
<laughs> she tells him that Blackport, he tells her that Blackport is in town. Hitters, one of them came pretty close to taking me last night. You okay? Yeah, but we have to shut these guys down fast. They aren't gentle and fun-loving like the Reds. Meaning? Meaning that when they feed, their victims don't usually survive. They don't feed as often, but the longer they stay, the more people are going to get killed. What's the plan? Find them. Kill them. Just like that? No formal balls? No masquerades? No clandestine meetings as preliminaries? Nah, I thought it might be nice to get a drop on the bad guys for a change. I like that plan. And then she asks if they can be on Saturday because she doesn't want to go to a family reunion. Which is spectacular. She says, I need a good excuse not to show up or my mother won't let me hear the end of it. So lie. She'd know. She's psychic or something. And she apologizes because I I spend time dreading this every year. Family skews your sanity. And then she realizes that he didn't have a family. God, Harry, I wasn't thinking. I'm sorry. I coughed and focused on the sequence. It shouldn't be a long job. I find some vamps. We go in, pound in some steaks, cut some heads, toss some holy water, and we're gone. You mean we get to live the cliche? Steaks and crosses and garlic? Yeah, cakewalk. <laughs> then why do you need thugs? In case they have goons. I need thug power with counter goon capability. And then she says, why don't you ask the holy night guy? No. What if we need him? Michael could come in a hot second if I asked him. But I'm tired of seeing him get hurt because of me. God, or someone like him, does Michael's event scheduling, and I get the feeling that Michael's a lot less invincible when he isn't officially on the clock. But he's a big boy. I mean, he knows the risks. He has brains. He also has kids. Murphy faltered, and I hit one of her thumbs. And he asks, she asks, well, O'Toole there's Mickey Malone's nephew. He'd jump through fire for you if I asked him along. No newbies on this run. A stupid mistake could be fatal. And he says he wants someone smart and tough and who won't freeze or freak out. And that's you. He only, this is his, he only trusts her and he only wants her. And she says that she's just as vulnerable as they are. But Harry says, you know, the score, they don't, not really. You know enough to be careful and smart. Which I think is a huge compliment to her. Harry obviously respects her abilities and knows. And that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, he also is asking her along here. He mentioned she's five foot nothing. Yeah. And he needs thug power. Like, and I love that. It's a huge testament to how much he trusts her Mm -hmm. and her abilities, like you said beyond just her physical stature mm-hmm. and how much he doesn't trust these other mooses because of, you know, just the, the respect that he has for Murphy is so great and so different than it was even a couple of yeah. hours ago. True. It's been great to see that relationship grow and blossom organically mm-hmm. in a real fashion. And I love it. I love their interaction. And then he sees, she sees the puppy because obviously it's exciting. And he asks her to hang on to him for the day. And she says, I'm not keeping him. I know, I know. I'm not keeping him. You just said that, Murph. Just so long as you understand that I'm not keeping him. I get it already. Just this once then. I'm going to do paperwork at my desk, but you'd better be there to pick him up by five. She's going to keep him. 
That's my feeling on that. Uh, and he says he didn't know about the erotic nature of the film. And she calls him a pig. And don't you have some paperwork to do? Get there by five, pig. By five. I grumbled to myself as I walked out to the court and left. Walked out to my car and left for my first day on set. <laughs> I just love their interactions so much. And I know I've said that a lot, but I just, I truly, truly do. They're such a well-matched pair. Yeah. And again, it, it has grown. Mm-hmm. And progressed. It truly has. In just such, again, it's such a great natural way. And I love the characters' interactions far more than any. I mean, I've mentioned before, like, oh, I don't love this novel. I don't love Mm -hmm. this novel. But then I love the novel. (laughs) Like, a lot of the overarching stories and and stuff are fine. Mm -hmm. They're good. It's good. This is a really good series. I love it. Yeah. I'm trying to, like, put it, like, rank stuff. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But just this interaction here of him. Describing her as this brawny thug because she is has the skills and the knowledge and the ability to go be a force mm-hmm. against the black court. Like that's not nothing. There he was talking a chapter or two ago about them ripping his heart out with their bare hands. Yeah. And these are the creatures he's now trusting Murphy, begging Murphy to come with him to go take on. Like that's a huge turn of events mm-hmm. from where we were at even a few novels ago. And I just, I love, I love the trust. Yes. I agree completely. All right. Obviously the real highlight, which we touched on last week, was the opening line, which is so good. Yes, quite. But um, yeah, pretty cool. Again, I like when we start in the action. We've done this a couple times before where you get, a, it helps you you get you dig into the novel right mm-hmm. away. But B, it just sets the scene in a, in an interesting way. Like we know Harry's been working for a few days. We don't know why Thomas is there. It's just kind of strange a strange setup, but it's great that we're mid climax, yeah. basically, of his of his side case. And um, yeah, we learn about his his black duster having the spells. We see that in action at least coming mm-hmm. here which is great. And um, yeah, the puppies, anything of note in here? It's a good little action sequence. Um, I like, I like that the, the one puppy with the notched ear is basically him. <laughs> Truly. Stand up to bullies. Just not the kind of moderately fearless and just goes after the bad guys. I love it. That is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of touched on everything there. Um, about Thomas working for him. I don't think there's anything here. Yeah, there's not too much to discuss. We're kind of setting the scene. There's a line, great grandsister. Mm-hmm. I like that. Just a great line. Um, I I use that one whenever possible. <laughs> but uh, beyond that one, what? Um, yeah, nothing really too crazy in the getaway, or rather at O'Hare. Uh, well, I mean, there is the moment where they're in that room, 
yeah, that's certainly PTSD worthy. But I mean, it it does make sense for that moment. Harry having almost no reaction was certainly interesting, but yeah. We meet a couple of Arturo's ex-wives and um, the way those come up. Yes, I like that. Yeah, I mean, any any suspects here? I mean, we've met a couple of the actors. We've met a producer. I don't, I don't have any real... Yeah, it's early days. Yeah, it's real early. I don't have much going on. Fair enough. Thomas is talking to Madge. Uh-huh. And he says, Harry's a friend of mine. And Harry says... I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I smiled a bit and offered my hand. That is entertaining. It's funny, but it's also rather meaningful that he does still have this serious disconnect, even though they've started to become allies in a number of mm-hmm. places. So that is good that he's got his guard up. Yeah. Because it's white court male it's... vampire, not a lady vampire. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> Which in his part defense of it too. would also be have a physical component to it. Yeah. True, true. Interesting Thomas didn't tell him about it being porn. Bob had to tell him. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I agree. You think it would at least come up? Right? But maybe because Harry was fucking with him all night. Maybe. He's decided to fuck with him and not tell him. Yeah, could be. That could actually make sense. I like giving the benefit of the doubt that it is in character, but why are they doing it? And then, yeah, again, point. That was uh, Veet, friend of the show, Veet, talking about the the Watsonian versus Doyleist. The ideas of who's, what's the reason for any particular piece of information? Is it the author or the character? Basically, and they're connected. But me and Lissy had a good off-camera chat about it. Mostly, I'm too dumb to figure it out in a lot of cases. <laughs> but also, it makes sense in that in that case there why these characters would act the way they're acting so far. Mm-hmm. But I do want to definitely try to get as much race as possible. And then the Murphy fighting the, the big boys. Any uh, thoughts? I liked it because it was very much where she's one of the dudes, uh, but she still kicked his ass. Mm-hmm. You know? And I like that she's the one that pointed it out. So what happened here? You know, she knew he was going to say he got beat by a girl. I just appreciate that. I like that. That I did like a lot. That is fun. Again, we see we see Murphy being a bad influence on Harry with, uh-huh, uh, with her misogynism. <laughs> yeah, pretty great. Which I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for as we move oh, forward. Oh, yeah. Here. Just because of that line in the last novel that mm-hmm. Murphy's the bad influence. Same. I think it's fantastic, though. Again, they have their little clickety-clack fight, which is... Clickety-clack fight. I like that. She makes fun of him. He's very uncomfortable talking about uh, being on the porn set all day, which I think is funny. Again, uh-huh. is uh, he saw this... With Molly and with Murphy now, just Harry struggles talking to, to women. We already knew yeah. that, but when sex comes up, he also because we did such a good job on the sex scene. <laughs> obviously, in the book also. So, <laughs> but remember, last week I said it ends on a good interaction. I think it's a good start to stop, also. But I really wanted that Murph paragraph yeah. in there. What you What you think of her stumbling over saying you wouldn't understand because you don't have a family? Yeah, that, but that is appropriate. It really is. Well, but it's something she would be like, ah, fuck, what did I just say? Kind of thing. Very much so. That's at least how I kind of saw it. 
you know, she's, she's tired. She's working out. She's mad at her mom. I get it. Um, it was just, we've talked about all the positive and, and good interactions. Yeah. And that was one that was just kind of, just didn't have as much kind of care. Mm-hmm. You're shooting the shit with your friend. You're not really thinking everything, but you also, I feel like that would not be a mistake that you usually make. Yeah, it, I agree. She's also just ranting. She's probably been ranting about this damn thing for a while now. Or waiting for someone to rant to. That's, that's true too. Good point. In both cases, kind of, kind of can understand a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of all the way through it there. Do you? Yikes. Have anything on the yikes front? I do not. Yeah, I mean, again, the girl fight stuff is in universe. It, you know, I don't recommend mm-hmm. gendered insults as a rule, but in universe, two cops getting on the rookie mm-hmm. absolutely is a reasonable experience, if not ideal. Probably shouldn't just shouldn't say stuff like that. It's a good policy, but <laughs> I don't think it quite merits a sexual harassment exactly lawsuit quite yet. But quite yet, not being a dick costs very little most days. Uh-huh. Most days. What about some quotes of the week? I think I have a pretty good idea. One you're absolutely going to say. Obviously, the building was on fire, and it wasn't my fault. And they have, they're both early in the novel. An errand is getting a tank of gas or picking up a carton of milk or something. It is not getting chased by flying purple pyromaniac gorillas hurling incendiary poo. I just thought that was sassy. Uh, That's good. Oh, man. Mm. Didn't steal any of mine. Sweet. Yeah, but I want to say three. Allow me to reiterate, Thomas panted a minute later. What the hell? Was that? <laughs> Did I just really like that one? I think it's great. I'm actually shocked you didn't pick this one, only because there's a great word in it, and I know that you love good words. Hmm. But discretion is the better part of not getting exanguinated. I do like that one too. <laughs> so that, that's my quote of the week. Probably that's but those are wonderful. Good ones. And yeah, another novel just about knocked out here. Or, sorry, another chunk just about knocked out here, but we can't go anywhere till you give us crackpot theory of the week. Okay, so it's Mister, of course, obviously. So I still feel like Mister's got some uh, some mojo we don't know about. He's got some level of power or something and that's why he and bob get on so well and i'm sure bob knows but harry doesn't okay that's where i'm going with that interesting one. Mm-hmm. you know how i love mr <laughs> i do when, whenever mr on site on site we're getting we know exactly what our crackpot it's gonna have about. to do with mr I, I think we're all okay with it <laughs> i'm glad he is a Goodness lovable gracious. character and these chapters flew right by mm-hmm. um Again, really not a whole lot of movement plot-wise, but we've had the good action scenes. Mm-hmm. We've learned a lot of good, some good lore on the, the white court, the black court, and we're just set up to go to work at the porno, which is going to be, I'm sure Harry is going to be a totally normal, well-adjusted. Obviously. Reasonable guest on this site <laughs> right here. So, looking forward to that. 
beyond that. It's fantastic. Anything else before we get out of here, Liz? No. That was a good bit of introduction to this bit of story. Yeah, it really was. And I like, again, this is another one where I'm going to say this. It's another one that I don't remember loving, Uh which there's 17 of them. This is somewhere (laughs) in the middle. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the, uh, character moments we've had. I do like Thomas a lot. Trying to figure out his sneaky motives are always interesting. And, uh, yeah, just excited to get through it. Yeah. So hit us up on all the things. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The pod was on fire is our Twitter. Every other social media is the podcast was on fire. Get it while you can. Well, get it while it getting's good. Mm-hmm. But we were looking forward to it. I just I love those uh, chats. Um, you know, we try to get to all as many as we can, and I do protect them from spoilers. Yes. So don't worry about that. I literally sent send Lissy redacted. Yes. Like for part of the, of the CIA emails. Here. Shh, you can't tell people. <laughs> so that's kind of the deal. That's the best way to get us is the Gmail. But any of the other ones, we're happy to oblige. We uh, just love putting these out there and seeing that people keep downloading it. Yes. So. Awesome. And thank you guys. And we love feedback. We love it when you plug in some star numbers on Apple pods or all the pods that you go to, but just you guys being around and keeping the support up is super, super awesome. We do have memberships. You get the, I mean, you get the pod a day early. We're hoping to add some content to that as we go here. Ooh, maybe really sad parts. We'll have video of Lissy reading the book. There we go. Boom. (laughs) That was a great idea. We need videos of Alyssa reading. Um, I'm all about it. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I just appreciate you guys. Hit us up. And um, yeah. We'll, uh... It's just exciting. I love seeing all the people who want to listen to us. Yeah, very much appreciate. People are still finding episode one and downloading it, which means you guys are still telling your friends because we don't advertise because really super monetized <laughs> uh, do make a box. We're grateful for every single person who's a uh, member. And, um, but yeah, guys just keep on hitting those, uh, star buttons on Apple pods the best way. Cause that helps people find us, but you guys are great. I really appreciate you. Lissy. Thank you as ever for working around my scratchy voice and scratchy <laughs> schedule this week because of extra polo. Um, going to be a busy one. We'll try to squeeze this out as quick as we can expect it midday Sunday but I appreciate you guys so thank you so much I've been Josh I am Alyssa the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault My kids got fucking robbed. Why? In our 
top 12 play-in game. Oh, that sucks. Like, I've never told a kid after a game that the refs took it away from him in 23 years. Till Saturday, Sunday, Sunday mm-hmm. Six game in two days. And they got fucking hosed. That's too bad. Um, 